Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Hey, everyone. It is so nice to be back this week. Um, We have such a good guest for you. I'll tell you a little bit about her in just a second. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this event that is coming up that we are getting so much buzz about. It's so exciting. It's an event that I was personally really like excited about, but I I don't know. I get excited about some things that other people don't. Um, this one seems to be uh, an event that everyone's excited about. It's our influencer tech demo event. Um, so we've got an entire day, a mega event on December 1st coming up quickly that is going to have demo after demo after demo of all of the top influencer tech companies out there. Um, It's sort of a no-brainer to come to this event. It's already been proven that influencer marketing is a lifesaver during COVID. The entire industry has been maturing and tech is really necessary in order to run these scalable campaigns. So if you've been in the influencer marketing industry for long enough, you know that this good tech is necessary in order to do it right. Um, I personally know how time-consuming it can be to find the right platforms. And plus, these companies are just always changing. So you want to make sure that you have the best tools to fit your needs. I personally love tech and so I wanted to help. So WIM has curated a full day of tech demos in this one meg event so you could learn about the latest and greatest in main in our main room, our main virtual room, because of course it's virtual. Um, but you'll also be able to book a time slot to speak individually to representatives from each of our sponsors, um, to chat one-on-one with them, to find out a, more about their features, to talk to them about your specific use case and see if they're the right fit for you. The event is completely free and it's like this great opportunity to shortcut your search. Um, And uh, we want to present this to you all in one day. Um, It's again, like the best players in the industry. You can compare them one-on-one. Again, it's sort of a no-brainer, so you don't have to go through this painstakingly long process. I'm so excited about it. As always, just check out our website, iamwim.com slash events. That's iamwim.com, and you can find out more info. This one is completely free, so you should definitely go invite your colleagues make a day out of it because uh, otherwise it would be like 15 days or 30 days. (laughs) It takes so long to be able to schedule these things. Just bang it out in one day and we're going to make it really fun. So I hope you come. From one Jessica to another Jess, Jessica, (laughs) it's lovely to have you on today. Um, Why don't you tell everyone uh, where you are quarantining? 
Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so we had discussed this a little bit earlier, but we are we started our quarantine in Los Angeles, California, and I just recently moved my family um, and our business headquarters to Nashville, Tennessee. So we are three days into um, a house that is new to us, and we're getting settled. And quarantine life is a little bit easier out in the um, out with a little bit more green in our yard. I would say. I would think a lot more green. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, f- to you know, m- myself being based in Brooklyn, that sounds like a dream. I'm sure people tuning in, a lot of other big cities. Um, and I've heard so many things about Nashville in particular. Like it's the coolest, you know, like other big city in the States. Like it's, it's really growing in popularity. So I'm so curious to hear what brought you to Tennessee and maybe how that you, how you think that is going to affect your business? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's really interesting, right? Because um, we had, we had spoken on this a little bit earlier, but running a, running a small business in California is, has its challenges, right? Um, Taxes are high, a lot of uh, rules and regulations and things like that. And, you know, we, at the end of the day, it came into two factors. One is, you know, a big personal factor, right? Just having the family. Uh, But two is, we really wanted to be in a place that felt like it was supportive of small businesses uh, and inviting in that climate. And so, you know, you look across the, the board, you could go anywhere right? in theory. I and mean, Austin has certainly seen a lot of success in the last, I call it five to 10 years. Nashville is really that new city. I mean, when you look around as you, know, you put your, your businesswoman hat on, you look at the tax rate that's here. It's fantastic. The lower cost of living, um, the, you know, the, bustling city. So you have a lot of tremendous talent here, both creative as well as analytical. Um, and it's a really fantastic, this is a really fantastic time to be here. I think the energy is great. And that's one thing that I loved about being in the city was the energy, right? Uh, but the energy in Nashville is huge. There's, you know, there are obviously an equal parts of influencer and celebrity talent here. So I'm excited about that. And if you look at our client roster, you know, we have a good chunk of clients on the West Coast, but we also have a lot in the Midwest. And my two biggest clients actually are in the Midwest. So this puts us a little bit closer um, to them and has us sort of open up that um, that path straight to the Midwest. And, you know, to your point there, being in, in New York, once things open back up here, it'll be a lot easier for me to hop on a plane and get to New York, come say hello, um, versus coming all the way from the West Coast. Absolutely. It's definitely a little bit more central for sure. <laughs> Um, and it's so interesting. So we heard a little bit about your company and your uh, your professional history in the intro to this podcast, but I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, your agency, where you are now. Um, you talked about some of your clients. I'd love to hear like um, a little bit about them and, uh, and just more about you and your company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the influencer world is as you know, it's so interesting. Um, I think that's that's something that continues to pull me back to it, right? Obviously, um, with a successful exit with Hello Society, that was really exciting. And that could have been a time where I decided to, hey, let me try something else. But the, in- the influencer industry was just sort of picking up speed at that moment. And I just, I couldn't quite turn my back to it. Um, I really love that there are constantly new platforms, um, new ways to deliver partnerships. And as brands become more and more comfortable, which I think really, if you look at sort of saturation, I'd say we're probably 80, 75, 80% there. Um, you just get to do bigger and better and more interesting things. So for me, this is, um, you know, our tagline is always striving to set new standards. 
And that's what we're doing. So it's not just, hey, we're gonna connect you with some talent and do a YouTube video. It's it's more about like, what are the objectives? How, how can we be a true agency? How can we come up with a really cool creative idea that you guys can leverage influencers for, right? Um, so we're trying to take things one step further and really, really set the standard in the space in terms of how influencers and brands interact, but also how agencies really provide value um, in that in that middle um, world. And for somebody who's a little obsessed with branding, I love the name. It's just so clear within, you know, within a, a short, like a, sh- a few words, exactly what you guys are about. Um, you know, you're talking to us about your mission right now and, you know, setting new standards. And stuff. It's just so clear and so concise. So I love it. Um, yeah, no, and it's as, as a a former agency owner myself, like it's, uh, it, I know how long it takes to come up with a name and how perfect you want it to be and it's your identity. And, um, yeah, I've, I've known so many, I've known a lot of friends presently who are rebranding. I feel like 2020 is a really interesting time to sort of dig into that. And, uh, It it makes sense. But even when it makes sense, it's difficult to, to still do. You, you want to ho- hopefully nail it the first time. Um, so I feel like you guys have. I love I love the name. Um, and talk to us a little bit more about like the about the work that you guys are doing. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, we have we're really um, we're really lucky in that we have a lot of really fantastic brand partners that have been with us for a long time, like Adobe, Fiat Chrysler. Um, And then we also have a lot of really interesting, fun brands and companies that come to us every year, um, very consistently, but, you know, we do smaller projects with them. So what I love about that sort of model is that it gives us um, the ability to really dig deep with a lot of our partners and do interesting things. Uh, And then, you know, on the flip side, we can still continue to keep things fresh and creative and fun with new new partners that come to the table. So what I would say is when you look at influencer marketing, I think historically it's been a little bit more heavy handed on the branding and the content creation. And while we have absolutely done that, we're seeing a lot of success now with um, direct to consumer brands and apps, especially I think in 2020, it's been really interesting to see how a lot of that um, has parallel passed. And the other thing that's even, I think more exciting is if you, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how, um, market saturation with influencers is kind of in that 75, 80%, I'll call it, um, area. But with the remaining 20, 25% of brands that haven't really kind of jumped in um, with influencers, we're seeing that they are picking up the phone and giving us a call now. And I think a big reason for that is, you know, 2020 has poked a lot of holes in the content creation and the advertising game of a lot of brands, right? If you are unable to come together as a big group with really big production equipment and do all this sort of stuff, you're sort of sitting there and not able to talk to your audience. But influencers provide an incredible solve for that, right? So we've done a lot of really, um, really great production-based shoots for brands. And we actually even had, um, for one of our clients was Target, we had, <laughs> we had them come in with and drop off huge amounts of production equipment that influencers had to set up in their houses um, and create a full-on high-quality pr- produced ad effectively. Uh, and that's been really exciting to see that happen and that come to life. Um, and it really, it just really proves the value of an influencer. Uh, I know you probably see this a lot of times too, but I know ad week, ad age, all these guys, everybody wants to poke hole in the influencer industry, right? Because it's not good for traditional ad, ad agencies. Um, 
the thing is, is now I think people are saying, wow, this is, we're getting all of this for our money. We see the true value. It's, I mean, where, where, where else do you have someone who can produce your ad, come with an audience and a distribution channel? I mean, that's, that's got to be the new gold standard in the way that we advertise. I feel like, you know, the poke hole theory, which it's not a theory. I mean, it's just, it's factual. Like people have been trying to do that for a really long time at this point. Um, I, I feel like it, I don't know why it is. I, I wonder if it's just like, oh, it's just new. And, you know, people are trying to sort of remain having their stake in the ground of like a very old school um, uh, way, which is just advertising. I mean, it's been around forever. If you watch Mad Men, you know how far back it goes, <laughs> right? And so, you know, these are like the new kids on the block, you know, about influencer marketing and they don't understand it. It looks so different. It really, it's predominantly young. Um, and, you know, coupled with that and social media, I think it's just a lot of unknowns. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I think about these things too. It's like, I even go throughout, throughout my career. And I think a lot of women in our group too. It's like, you know, as you progress in your profession, you know, you always want to remain relevant. And it's a little like, it's a little scary. It's like, you know, I know what I know now, but in 20 years, when there's the next revolution of like the next, you know, technology or, you know, the next type of marketing or advertising, I don't want to be what those people are today, which is like the naysayers. And they're like, oh, I'm going to debunk that because we're the ones who are always going to be on top. Right. And- Right. And like, I could just see this in my future. And I, at least I guess, you know, the way to get ahead of it is to be aware of it. Um, But I, I admire you as someone who's had a really wonderful professional, you know, history. And, you know, like you briefly mentioned, we heard about it in the intro, you know, you were COO of Hello Society, which was acquired by the Times, and then you opened up your own agency. And so, you know, how, is there any sort of, um, I don't know, any sort of words that you want to share just about being open to, to the new ideas and new ways of doing things that have really helped, you know, keep you as relevant as you've been for so, you know, for so long. And, um, you know, even having your agency now, you, I assume that because social media is changing so much, there's always so many things to learn. So I guess my question to you is how do you always stay so current and along with, with your company and your team as well? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great question. And I think you really, you provide a pretty strong value prop for why you should be partnering with the social standard, right? Is if you think about everything that marketers have to do today, trying to figure out TikTok on top of that is probably not something that they are feeling pulled to if they're in their, you know, their mid forties, right? A CMO who's in their fifties. That's not how you want to spend your time. That's not how you should be spending your time. You should partner with someone like us who's in the thick of it, who knows this, we have an expertise and we can handle that side of things for you. Make sure you're relevant in the right way, but allow you to continue to run your business, right? That's that's the value of all agencies truly, but that's, you know, when it comes to social media and being so relevant in such a high high speed sort of turnaround on so many different things. Um, that's absolutely something that, you know, that we help all of our partners with. So um, one thing just to say there, but you know, how we, how do we stay relevant? I think, you know, any, any entrepreneur, no matter uh, who they are, or what industry they're in has got to stay relevant, right? Every, every marketer has got to stay relevant. That's just how it is. And that's why I think it's really important, especially, you know, for maybe your younger listeners who are trying to figure out what 
2021 means for them in terms of their career is when you go for something that you're passionate about and that you're truly interested in, it doesn't feel like work. And so you can, you can spend all the hours on Instagram, figuring out how to, how to use reels. You can figure out what's going on with TikTok and how brands can leverage it because it's interesting to you. It's relevant or in that world. And I think, you know, myself, I am 36. So when I was in college, Facebook was just coming about, right? And I think, you know, you weren't allowed to be on it. That was the whole thing. It was only for certain schools. So I've seen the whole sort of cycle of this, which has been really interesting, right? Um, it makes it interesting and also predictable, right? Every platform, every new tool is going to have some sort of space in the in the ecosystem of social media. But at the same time, you know, you see how brands interact with things. Every new platform, it's like, whoa, pump the brakes. Are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? You have the brands that are that dive right in and get the most value out of it because you get the most value out of anything almost immediately. Um, but you can kind of see these, these sort of things continue. So I think it's just, it comes down to your personality and, and finding what's really interesting to you. Uh, for me, it's been social media and influencers has just been, I mean, it's changed the entire way that brands communicate with their targeted audiences. It's really, it's, it's really incredible. And at the same time, as you mentioned, it's also not any different than what they've been doing since the dawn of time. Advertising is advertising at the, at a very baseline. It's just how you, how you dress it up. A hundred percent. And tell us a little bit how you even got into influencer marketing in the first place. Like it's, it's obviously a passion of yours. What do you love about it so much? How'd you get into it? It's sort of a, as almost anything that's meant to be, um, it just sort of happened. So I will say prior to, um, prior to being an entrepreneur, I was actually in investment banking and private equity. So the world of finance, which being in New York, you're very familiar with. Um, and I remember sitting at my desk in Boston at my private equity job. And, you know, one of the things that I was responsible for there is just analyzing trends and Pinterest was just coming out. And I was like, God, this is incredible. And I actually tried really hard to get in touch with Pinterest and to go work for them uh, when they were still in Ben's garage. And it was like, you know, five people. I was trying desperately to get in there and no one would turn my emails. So um, I knew I was moving out to LA after that um, because my boyfriend at the time, um, we've been together forever and he was out in LA and we've kind of had this plan. I was going to be in Boston for two years and we would move to um, Los Angeles. So went out there. I ended up meeting Kyla, um, who was CEO, CEO of Hello Society. And she was kind of starting to do this thing. And she's like, well, you want to do this with me? And I said, absolutely. So um, that's sort of how Hello Society got off the ground. And we, uh, thick as thieves is probably the best way to describe us there. Um, but we did a whole bunch of stuff. It was a huge learning experience. Um, super, super incredible. I mean, we were crashing websites with the amount of traffic that we were sending to people. So it was a really incredible time. Um, but that is what started me in the influencer space. That's kind of how I fell into it um, for all intents and purposes. And just what I love about it is just how creative it really can be um, and how impactful it is. I mean, it works. It really, it really works very, very well. Um, and if, you're, you know, if your audience is on social media and you're not doing influencer marketing, man, you are missing out. You're definitely missing out. Um, I hope that by the end of this podcast and a few other episodes, they're fully convinced that uh, this is the way to go for sure. I'd love to chat with you. Um, so I remember years ago, um, I did 
a, quite a bit of business with Hello Society. I was out in California, went to visit their offices there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Favorite part of LA. Um, and I, I just, I remember all the great work that they were doing. I think it's really fascinating that they had, you know, not just the CEO, um, not just, you know, a whole team, but they had a COO and I find it fascinating, you know, your history in investment banking and then transitioning to a COO. Talk to us a little bit about what your role there really entailed um, and what you learned about yourself being the COO of a great company. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting ride to say the least. Um, but you know, as CEO, I was really, I sort of oversaw our tech team and our sales team um, and just sort of made sure all of the, I say all the trains left the station on time. Uh, but I was also our head of sales. So um, I learned how to sell, which was really <laughs> interesting and fun and a skill that I think, you know, everyone, everyone really should have uh, no matter how you get it, absolutely take one job as, as a salesperson. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we had our own internal technology platform. So I was in charge of uh, making sure that our CT, our tech team and our CTO had all the things that they needed and we were able to communicate the brand's needs and the influencer's needs. Because if you, if you everyone knows now how Pinterest works with the bookmark. Well, we had, we had created um, our own bookmarklet uh, that you could install in your browser and then pin and it would automatically attach a UTM code so we could track the traffic and, and all that sort of good stuff. Um, which now is like a no duh thing, but at the time was was a pretty big deal. We actually had acquired a company um, in India that had that technology, and we brought that over to to kind of flesh that out. So that was a really interesting time. Um, you know, that was also the first time that I was in charge of managing uh, a large group of people, right? So I think at the height of it, I think I was it was maybe twenty people that I was managing um, almost directly. So that was a lot to deal with as a 28 year old, I would say. Um, but it was fun. And I mean, you do, you learn so much about yourself. And I remember I read this book called the hard thing about hard things. And it was, uh, a VC. It was, who's the guy it, uh, was it Horowitz was Andreessen Horowitz. One of those guys wrote it and it was incredibly insightful. And actually, it gave me one of, it gave me a lot of confidence in terms of what I was doing, because I think, especially as a young woman, you don't, I think women in general tend to second guess themselves quite a bit. Um, and I'm a pretty strong personality and I still found myself second guessing having that book kind of say, look, you can, you're going to be put in all these difficult situations, all these situations that are very tailored to you and your business. You can go out and you should go out and get advice. But the reality is at the end of the day, you got to make hard decisions and you got to figure it out. And they're going to, you're going to make some awful calls. You're going to make some superb calls, but the reality is you got to make calls. right? Um, and he kind of walked through a bunch of different experiences that he had had and some of um, the folks that he had managed had had as well. And it was really, it was an aha moment for me. And um, having, just like I said, having that confidence really kind of propels you forward. Are you familiar at all with um, like the personality traits in like in working like C style, D style, I styles? Are you familiar with that at all? Oh my gosh, it's so fascinating. I have to look up like what it's actually called. I'll look that up right now. I know the Briggs stuff, but pin on. Well, that's funny. You know, the second one that comes up is a, a pin on Pinterest. Oh, of course. Our computers, <laughs> my computer is listening to us right now, of course. <laughs> Um, 
So what's it, what is it about? Oh, I got it. Disc profiling is what it's called. So disc profiling and each letter is D-I-S-C, of course. And it stands for dominance, influence, uh, conscientiousness and steadiness. Um, Mm -hmm. and it, I, I love these personality tests. I find them really interesting. Um, but this one in particular, I have found so incredibly accurate. It's really, Mm -hmm. really cool to take, um, different like groups administer the test. So the, like the results tend to vary a little bit, but you find more like some that are more credible than others. I ask that of you because it's just like sort of your description of your path and, and being a 28 year old COO of this, you know, this incredible company managing 20 people. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's definitely an I style and an S style. Like I'm just sort of like guessing what your results would be. I think that it's so, um, I think that it's really incredible that you had the opportunity to go through that and to, to learn. I'm sure you learned so much about yourself as a professional and just having to just make those calls, like you were saying, um, cause even just making the call is sometimes difficult to do. So mm-hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit more of a peek behind the scenes of sure. what it's what it's like being the COO of a company that is in talks of being bought by this incredibly well-respected company like the New York Times, because I would assume being part of the C-suite of a company that's in talks with you know the New York Times or you know any sort of uh, acquisition or sale, you're very much in the room of all those types of conversations. So women listening, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. A lot of them have aspirations of, you know, selling a business someday. Um, I think that it's also, you know, they, people, we talk a lot about being a business owner and what it is to have a successful business. But I think that it's so imperative to think long-term and like, what is your goal for that business someday? Is it to just keep it, maintain it as a lifestyle business and, and continue or is there an exit strategy? And I don't yeah. think women are familiar enough with that part of it with like, how do I even, where do I even begin? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. having your background in investment banking and gone through this process, I would love to hear a little bit more from you about that process, whatever you can share, what it was like. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, I'll share it from a few different perspectives too, because to your point, I have the, the, private equity investment banking, and then the Hello Society stuff, and then even my current situation now um, with the social standards. So it's it's sort of a daunting process, but I do think you make a really important distinction there. It's, are we doing a lifestyle business? Are we doing something to sell? So my general um, recommendation to anyone who is running their own business is run it run this business, create this business to be exactly what you want. Um, Make it the best that you can possibly make it. Don't focus on building something to sell because you're just going to create junk and you're not going to be proud of it. Right. Um, There's just, if if you do, if you do something really, really well, people are going to stand up and they're going to take notice and they will bring offers to you. That is the best way to do it. Um, no matter what you're doing in any sort of negotiation, right? You know, the person who says the 
the first number loses is like a common sort of thing, right? But I think going into anything, anytime you're entertaining any offers, I would say two things. One, trust your gut always. That I don't think women have such an incredible sort of gut feel, intuition on everything. So trust it. it you, I've never been in a situation where I have regretted listening to my intuition. I've only been in situations where I regretted not listening to it. So that's a skill that you've got, you've got to figure out. Um, once that's done, I would say, you know, if people are starting to come to you and they're talking about numbers, get your number in mind. You know, think about really what that means to you and think about what it is that you are doing. If you are 28 and this is not your last rodeo, you know, think about what you want to be comfortable to start something else, right? What do you need? What do you want to do? What does that look like for you? Um, If you are 45 and you're looking at this, maybe you're saying, hey, this is going to be a retirement goal. So that's got to be different things. Get, you know, get together with a financial planner, figure out whatever you need to do. Um, to back into what that number needs to be. And once you have that number, you have complete confidence to say yes or no. So that's um, that's always been helpful for me, I would say. Um, and even as I look at the social standard for me, it's been, you know, is this a lifestyle business? Do I want to sell it? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, and as things sort of, I think as your life goes down certain paths, uh, things become more obvious to you, right? Um, so a lifestyle business is great if this is the lifestyle that you want, right? <laughs> but if this lifestyle is crazy for you um, and you maybe say you want to um, have kids in the future, maybe your goal is to sell it and then have kids, right? Um, there are a lot of different paths, I think, to, to take. It's just more about you being certain about exactly what you want. And I will be totally honest that I think even before I had kids, um, a lot of people were always asking me, Hey, are you going to sell this? Cause it, coming from the, the times acquisition of hello society, you, people sort of look at you and think, Oh, this, she wants to do this again. Right. Um, so there's a lot of those questions and I really didn't know. And I just refused to put a label on it because I said, you know what, right now I love doing this. This is so much fun for me. I'm having a great time. I'm going to continue doing this and then we'll see. So um, it's always good to reevaluate things and, and have sort of goal posts in mind uh, because things, I mean, life happens fast and it can really slip out of uh, your grip quickly. And I always like to tell people indecision is a decision, right? So just because you're like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. It's there, there is an, I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I want to wait six months, one year, two years and reevaluate where we are now. That's a decision. Indecision is, eh, I don't know. We're just going to see, but you're never going to be motivated if you have no insight and goal. Right. Um, so those are, those are important things to, to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like that's like such good advice is the the only thing constant in this world is change, they say. And uh, I don't know, I've experienced that um, when it comes to predicting everything and being able to plan on those predictions. Um, just the more you wait and see and test and learn, the better your predictions are going to be, um, right. And so, so like, I'd love to hear sort of your own agency, um, Mm -hmm. having had it, how long have you had it now? Um, so we're approaching six years. That's what I thought around six years or so. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the highest highs and maybe some of the challenges in those six years of having your own agency? Yeah, I think the um, 
probably some of the biggest, the biggest challenges were always at the beginning, right? They just were, um, because in the beginning it was just me. And I always like to tell people, this is, this is probably a great story for like, um, for some of your listeners who are maybe going through some of this now too, but in the beginning, it was me in my yoga pants at my kitchen table in my one bedroom apartment. And it was me sitting there every single day, emailing and emailing and emailing, trying to get a website up, figuring this out. But I would cold email. Um, there's my sales side of things, trying to get people on the phone from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single day. It was research who the contacts are, figure out their email addresses, send the email, get on the phone, try to figure. And, and I did that for a while. Um, and it took me, I think, seven months to land my first deal. It's a long time. Um, it feels like a long time when there's no end in sight. In hindsight, seven months is not that long, right? But um, it was it was a totally different, things had changed so much from what I was doing. And I moved from Pinterest to Instagram. That was what I was doing initially. And it was just a much different sale. Um, but my first deal was, I think, $30,000. Um, so it was a bigger number, right? I wasn't doing a bunch of two, five quick, quick turns that I felt like were just going to make me busy and not keep me focused on getting something bigger. But here's the thing. My second deal was half a million dollars with L'Oreal. Okay. So like, if you, if you're thinking about how do you get ahead, it's like, I'm one person doing all of this. I don't have time to hit 2k, 2k, 2k. It's like, I need to focus on getting the big fish so that I can execute, make my money. Cause my whole goal was to build up that bank account so I could start hiring. So the first year was that. And then I think December of the first year that I ran, I hired, um, I hired a junior person who was phenomenal. Um, and we, we ran together for a while and then tried a few other people back and forth and finally got enough cash to do a head of sales hire. Who's my current head of sales. Now we've had a fantastic partnership. Um, we're a great team. He's, he's phenomenal at his job. We balance each other really well. So, um, we've just had honestly fantastic success ever since then. Um, and it's, you know, there, there are bumps with everything. I mean, for God's sakes, 2020 is the biggest bump that any small business could ever face, right? Um, the nice thing is I'm pretty conservative with all of our finances always. I just, I, that's just how I am, probably to your steadiness point <laughs> on the disc profiles there. But we've, you know, we've been able to um, hang in. And something else I will mention, you know, this is um, apolitical, of course, but one of the things that when the PPP funds came out, I didn't do it initially because I said, you know what, I think we're going to be okay. Um, well, this is, you know, we're, we weren't, <laughs> we're in October now, right? But the, this is back this up, right? Um, in the spring. And I said, you know what, if there are so many small businesses that are going to need this. Uh, we're going to wait and see. And then I saw all these huge companies were applying for it and getting it. And I said, oh, F that, we're in. And I had to fight to the death to get it because we were so delayed and we got messed up on the first round. I ended up actually switching banks in the middle of all of this, doing it, pushing it through and we got it. Um, so that's a, just a good lesson to say, you know what, like, I think sometimes women view everything as the collective, which is really nice when you're, when you're managing teams and you're growing company culture. But when it comes to fighting for the survival of your business, no one is going to stand up and take that and, and move that ball forward besides you. So go get it and don't, don't apologize for it either. Um, that's, that is, that is there for you and for that help and you, you need to do it. So do what you got to do to keep your business alive because it's not just you, it's you and all the people that work for you. Uh, and you have a responsibility to do everything that you can in your power to keep them employed. 
It, you are absolutely. Um, and I'm glad that you got it. I'm glad I, I heard that a lot of people, they, they did what you did, which is like switch banks for some reason, a lot of the yep. big banks, you couldn't get it, things like that. So um, yeah. I'm glad you got what was entitled or you were entitled to, um, yeah. what would you say, you know, so you, you started with uh, a $30,000 deal as your first deal after seven months. And then, you know, your next one is this big bang. I'm sure you had many, you know, cheers of congratulations and then got right to work <laughs> after your half a million dollar deal. What would you, you know, what an incredible and inspiring story. I assume that was still you and your yoga pants by yourself. Just really just myself and I were high five, high five in myself. <laughs> what? What would you say to that really um, convinced L'Oreal to go with you? How did you win that business? Yeah, you know, it's um, smoke and mirrors is kind of a powerful thing, right? I mean, when you're sitting there, I didn't, this is a trick I'm sure a lot of your um, listeners have used, but never in my email signature did I say Jess Phillips CEO, right? There's always account manager. I'm selling them in. Um, I spent hours and hours and hours on the proposal. Um, and we just, you know, we just did, we put our best foot forward. And I think, you know, when it came down to it, our proposal was the cleanest, most well thought out. And um, they really saw that. And we, we just, we stood out. So, um, you know, you got to do your best, even, even when it feels like, oh, I don't know, this is such a long shot. Um, when it's just you and you're trying to get stuff off, you got to take every single chance that you can take. And what I hear consistently, you know, to the point of, uh, or to the, I see similarities between, you know, the title, the, the tight, the company name, Mm-hmm. Um, just about having these really high standards um, of your own work. And throughout, it's like, you know, don't talk about, don't think about selling your company and creating a product for that. Think about just your best product and just continuing to focus on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it might be really a long, it might feel like a long shot to pitch yourself as a, a one woman company um, to be an agency that works with, you know, a fortune 500 company, um, maybe fortune 100 company. Um, mm-hmm. But you just do the best work you know how to do you trust in all of your experience and everything that you bring to the table and you nailed it and you got it. So how incredible is that? What do you think is the most like exciting or groundbreaking project that you've worked on um, at your current agency in the past six years? And what do you think, um, what do you think was integral in, in making that, uh, in making that happen? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I mean, there are so many things that I think are like very interesting, very groundbreaking. Um, but I would say two that really come to mind. So, and I'll, I'll speak to this as like almost an, an overall sector comment. So when I did start um, the social standard, a lot of people told me that the automotive sector was the hardest sector to break. So I went after that full steam and we actually, um, we've now worked with almost all the automotive companies. And like mentioned, Fiat Chrysler is our current partner. We've been partners for them for the past three years. Um, before that, it was Buick and we since Ford and so on and so forth. So um, the, <laughs> the, the automotive world is very interesting and we've done some, some super cool 
experiential and some super cool, um, just like no one had ever done this before. So if you recall earlier, we were discussing how influencers were being, were using influencers as production crews, right? So one of the things um, that I thought was really interesting was Ford Canada actually came to us. This was years ago um, and said, hey, we, our Instagram is really lacking. We want just awesome content that we can put on there. We need to, you know, all any, at any point in time during the year, how do we do this? How do we just destroy our page on Instagram? Make it so awesome that like people are really, really engaging. How do we do this? We're not, we're not, we're not having success. And so we actually came up with an entire plan for them on how to, you know, okay, we're going to ship four cars to four different regions using four different influencers. We use the influencers who were photographers and social media and also had huge followings. They went out, they scouted all the properties, they brought in the models, they brought in the props, they did everything. Um, and like I said, we had four different models at four different times of the year because we had four different areas in Canada. So it looked like four different times a year. Um, and that content was some of the highest performing content that Ford Canada had ever had on any of their social. And it was really awesome because I remember at the time, this is years ago, people weren't using influencers like this. So to be able to push the ball forward and to set the stage with that type of a campaign and then to fast forward to 2020 and we're saying, hello, we can do this. This is not a problem. This is very easy for us. Um, we're doing five to 10 full production level um, content creation shoots for Adobe a month right now. And that's, you know, that is filling up their YouTube channels, their Instagram channels with tons of incredible content. Um, and, you know, it's, that's what people want, right? People want really interesting content, but they don't just want it to come from Ford or Adobe, you know, or Tennessee Tourism, for example. They want to experience the brand through someone else's eyes. And I think that being able to craft that in a way that is authentic and genuine is super, super important. Um, and it's never going to feel like that unless it's done in the way that you're describing, because it can't really be forced. It can't be manufactured. Um, and, and I think that what you're describing is really what I hear from what you're describing is that there's this like fundamental respect of the influencers themselves. Um, and I find it so fascinating and like really unfortunate that in so many conversations between brands, agencies, like people who are a little less connected to the influencer, there are more times than not, there's like a, a sort of a, a disrespect of influencers, sort of what you were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, where it's like people are trying to debunk influencer marketing, or they're like, oh, they're just influencers, or they're just this, there's just that. And I, what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that, you know, if you've been approaching it with this foundation of respect, and really leaning into that. In fact, you're having these incredible results. <laughs> it's like, it's like the most incredible results that Ford Canada had ever seen actually when approaching it in that way. Um, and, and so, you know, when you're advising your, your clients, whether they're new, whether they're, you know, doing a new project, what are, you know, if you could articulate, you know, three 
pillar items that you're like, this is always how you should approach influencer marketing could be a different message, a different this, that there could be so many differences, but these two or three things should always be infused in the work. What would you say? Yeah, I would say, you know, communication is just going to be the foundation of any good relationship, no matter what you're doing, but communicating with influencers. And I think that kind of hits on your point in a respectful way, but also in a way that they understand, right? What I see a lot of times is brands dropping in a brief um, or sending them their like creative Bible and saying, okay, here's this. And it's like, no, you need to actually create an entire, you know, either it's a, a visual deck for them to understand, um, we would have brands sometimes go into the, the profiles of the influencers on Instagram and pull photos that they liked, that they had done in the past. So we understand here's what we're working with you is we like this vibe, we like this look. Like the more that you can over communicate that, the better. Um, I think that's that's a big thing. And you know, the, the reality is just a lot of brands think, you know, they, they send an email and they want a turnaround in two hours. And it's like, well, these are creators. They're not sitting at their computer waiting for your email to come out. They're actually out shooting all of this stuff. So it's like timeliness and all that kind of understanding the, the art of communication with the creator, right? There are entire companies that have like management that sits between creative and, you know, business. And it's like, <laughs> that's, that's a huge bridge that you really have to figure out. But more than that, it's just, what what's the goal? What's the idea? You know, have a have an open dialogue with the influencer, especially a big creator like Casey Neistat is. If you're sure you're familiar with, huge on YouTube um, and every other social media platform, but really a very very creative guy. Um, and we have basically created a partnership, a long running partnership with him and Adobe because Adobe being a creative um, a creative tool set, right? Software for creators. It makes sense that we would partner with some of the larger. Um, thought leaders in that space. So what we do when we work with someone like Casey and Adobe, when we bring them to the table, we don't come and say, Casey, we want three YouTube videos, one Instagram, this, this. It's not prescriptive like that. It's like, here's our goal. Here's the product that we're trying to um, educate your audience on. How do we do this? Like what's going on in your life right now that you're excited about that you could do something really cool and involve Adobe to get our message out? How can we work together to do those sort of things? Um, that's huge. And I think that those, that's how you go from pay to post to a true influencer collaboration. Yeah. And you're just going to see it perform, you know, in so many different ways, I can assume, um, you know, whether obviously like the numbers themselves and the reach and the impressions and things like that, but also even your relationship with the influencer and being able to have a longstanding relationship is always going to be more impactful to so many different parties involved. Like it just, it makes so much sense to approach it like that. And so what I can also say from experience is that like, Yes, absolutely, Jess, like that's the way to do it, but it takes so much skill to be able to implement that properly. So aligning themselves like a brand, aligning themselves with somebody who can sort of take your hand and walk you through the way to do all of that and actually implement it is super important. So we ask this question of everybody on the podcast, and I'm really excited to What do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today? Hmm. You know, I think this is such a loaded question, isn't it? I mean, there are probably so many things. People write books on this sort of stuff. Um, But what I would say is that, you know, just coming back to that, that trust your gut just trust your gut time and time again, you know, the right answer. Um, even if you don't know exactly how to get there and what that path is, you know what the answer should be. 
Um, and once you're solid in that, it's impossible for you to waver and you know exactly what direction you need to go to get there. Um, so trust yourself over everyone else. There's no, you know, you're here, you deserve to be here and no one can tell you otherwise. Absolutely not. Um, and I, and I love that you were sort of talking about earlier, trusting your gut, but also that it's a, it's a unique quality that women have in particular to, to listen to their gut. Um, and you're the only one that could, you know, turn a blind eye to it, right? Like it's there, it's talking to you. You got to listen to it. That intuition is something that's really special. So it's like to just to, to be aware of it. Um, Jess, it's been so nice having you here today. So appreciate your time. Um, I have a feeling that many of our listeners may want to reach out, connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, please do. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to um, to reach me. I'm private on a lot of my socials because I have my family on there. But definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a note. Um, I'd love to hear from anyone. Always happy to jump on the phone for a few minutes and um, troubleshoot some problems. Awesome. Well, Jess, I will link uh, your LinkedIn in the show notes to this episode. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you again. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99-cent any-size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full-apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. ba ba ba